I am drawing what the account says happened. Again, not what I think happened. I'm much more of a skeptic. So, so if there is a giant that appears on a barn, I it will be a giant on the barn um, and not like Joseph Sr. dressed up on the barn, for instance. Or um, if there's a ghost, there's a ghost, um, that kind of thing. So um, I love it because I just found as I stitched all these stories together, it um, really made a compelling narrative. Eventually we come out to each other, we trade notes and um, realize that there's a lot of history we didn't realize that was super fascinating. Uh, but also I, we kind of went through backward, like we walked away and then we went to our angry phase. <laughs> and now we're coming back out of that, you know, like uh, years later, we're like, oh, okay, you know, let's learn to enjoy, you know, constructively deal with Mormonism, I guess. And that's how I decided to do it was, I started to fall in love with the folklore tales and the treasure digging adventures. Um, I, I loved all the books, but I know that's not for everybody. And so I was like, how can I contribute to the conversation? And Sally, she, I, I like to say, you know, she inadvertently started Mormonism because this the story is that, you know, he went to go get his seer stone by using her stone. I had a sketchbook as I was reading it. I would kind of be sketching this stuff out. You know, we started talking about it. We're like, these are kind of cool to see. Like, you know, people, you, it's one thing to read it, but to see something, it's just, it's very striking, striking, striking. I ended up like, you know, taking a Book of Mormon and like cutting out some of those uh, hieroglyphic pages, you know, the facsimiles. And I like folded them up and put them in a little box uh, that I had made in school, I think. And then, I cut a hole in my wall and put it in there because I thought someday someone will open this wall and they'll find this thing and it will convert them to Mormonism, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope my parents never listened to this episode because I like plastered back over the wall and it's not a very good job. So. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 744 the glass looker Collected Tales of Joseph Smith, a graphic novel by Mark Elwood. And today I'm joined by the author, researcher, and illustrator, Mark Elwood, and his wife, Erin, for a few minutes at least, to discuss Mark's absolutely stunning work. And look, I know you can't see this right now, but I want to play for you the audio of the promotional video that he made for this book. Now, I encourage you to go and find it on YouTube, or you can find it on the Infants on Thrones website under this episode, or you can go to Mark's website, theglasslicker.com. This is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. I'm super excited for this today. So here's the video, and then we're just going to go right into the interview. My name is Joseph Smith. 
In the month of October, 1825, I hired with an old gentleman by the name of Josiah Stoll. He had heard something of a silver mine having been opened by the Spaniards in Harmony, Pennsylvania, and had, previous to my hiring him, been digging in order, if possible, to discover the mine. After I went to live with him, he took me, with the rest of his hands, to dig for the silver mine, at which I continued to work for nearly a month, without success in our undertaking. And finally, I prevailed with the old gentleman to cease digging after it. Hence arose the very prevalent story of my having been a money digger. Smith had told the deacon that many years before, a band of robbers had buried on his flat a box of treasure. He had found a box of watches. And as it was very was valuable, they had by a sacrifice placed a charm kept up constantly, to protect it so that it could not be obtained except by faith, accompanied by certain talismanic influences. They commenced digging for hidden treasures. He deceived many farmers and induced them to dig knights for chests of gold. When the pig struck the chest, someone usually spoke. And the reason he gave for not obtaining the box was that it moved. So they killed a dog. Together with one or two others, they spent several days and nights, Smith with his mineral rod to find the hidden location, but failed to find the treasure. Hello, just a second, start my video here. My wife's walking me through it. She's off camera. Her, her. Well, you do not look like your picture anymore, Mark. Edward. Yeah. I know. This is the pandemic, is what it did to me. You know, I I did I, I did I had my hair down to about um not not nearly as long as yours was but i got it pretty long until a couple of weeks ago and i'm like i i'm starting to look like the big lebowski i can't yeah can you hear us okay and everything uh-huh right on yeah hi aaron hi nice to meet you glenn nice to meet you too so are you going to join us or are you just on to say i just for here to say hi for a few minutes okay yeah. so mark said you're an elected official <laughs> yeah i'm on my local city council I'm yeah. a politician who loves to hear herself talk. So. <laughs> um, I have strong opinions on things and Mark and Mormon history. So I think mm -hmm. I should let him have the spotlight. You get his Beatles stuff in the background. Yeah, I'm a huge Beatles right. fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you, did, have you heard the spiritual dimension of the Beatles podcast? I haven't. I just learned about that today. Okay. I haven't listened to Infants in the last year or two since I got on council. I oh, okay. Yeah. my personal life doesn't exist yeah. anymore. Um, so I was looking to be like, well, what are they up to these days? Cause I remembered your episode about um, like the one true band a few, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago. Uh, oh, I might, I did something like uh, that. I was disappointed in Paul McCartney or something. I don't yeah, know. That I was it. it was like, you, like had a more mature and like uh, realistic view of the world. You transitioned from being a Paul fan to a Lennon fan. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It was something like that. I don't know. I was, I, I was at a hotel in Miami doing something for work and everybody was out doing something and I stayed in and I recorded that. I, that's my memory of the thing. I don't even remember what I said. Yeah. Except afterwards I thought, Oh boy, I hope Paul McCartney never hears this. Cause that was kind of shitty to him. <laughs> Have you seen him perform? Uh-huh. Yeah. In, in uh, 1990. So it was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
we saw him i don't know in the last yeah. 10 years yeah. i don't know yeah he's no still why. pretty rocking, but he's still yeah. i mean he still can put on a show yeah 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 he's he's good stuff yeah so so i i i have a friend who's an astrologer who wrote a book called the spiritual dimension of, of the Beatles. And he was looking at all of their charts and everything that's going on with the time. He, I think he just published the book this last week, but we started recording. We, we, we've only published, I think maybe six episodes and I don't know if we're going to keep doing it or not, but so yeah, if you're interested in that, the, the thing that I like best is where he goes in and talks about uh, Paul's mother, Mary and John's mother, Julia, uh communicating with them from the other side wow and how, like the astrology <laughs> proves it you know anyway i'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna check it out definitely. yeah yeah he's an interesting guy i have a stronger testimony in the beatles than i do in mormonism <laughs> <laughs> really yeah well of course yeah yeah she's a huge beatles fan and she loved that episode she's told me about it before i, I didn't li listen to the one that you recorded about the Beatles. So I did listen to the Searstone one way back. When oh, okay. Launched, yeah, when they first revealed the picture. And I mm. think that was about all my exposure to infants, actually. <laughs> yeah, Aaron was. I, a huge I listened fan. all the time. And I thought y'all were too irreverent. Sorry. Yes. He did. Yeah. 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 It was the other guys, not me. I was, I was always the good one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I always enjoyed though how you guys went into things that were so much bigger about culture and psychology and mm -hmm. just humanity and how Mormonism is just an, another example of how humans cope. Basically, totally. I mean, and that—that's the th yeah. where that I I feel like the value of having gone through a Mormon faith crisis is is really like a microcosm for then how to engage with the rest of the world and all of the other fictions that everybody is invested in and how do you negotiate a world where every you know it's it's everybody has their own worldview and belief system and it's all incomplete it's all based on symbols some of it's true some of it's not it's just this real complicated tapestry of stuff that um yeah so that's that's kind of my the way that i frame the faith crisis now and okay now how do i re-engage with the rest of the world having gone through this for real especially when it comes to the mind it's all mind stuff. yeah i feel like it, it's in these times we live in too it's very helpful trying to understand trumpism and QAnon and yeah. covid denial and all those things and how people's brains work and how group think works and culture works and in yeah. groups and out groups and all of that so yeah 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 cool well nice to meet you it's so nice to meet and you are you going to stick around or, or do you want to just have it be Mark? Um, I think it should just be Mark also too. Okay. I should take our son upstairs probably. So he's not a distraction, but okay. thanks for taking an interest in what Mark's doing. And oh my God, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. She's far more yeah. articulate. I kind of wish she was joining us to be honest. <laughs> so. Well, I don't have half the knowledge that Mark has on history stuff. So yeah. Yeah. But anyway, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Right, Thank enjoy you. Mark yeah all right cool cool yeah so nice to meet you mark Thanks. so so infants was always too rowdy for you that makes sense yeah <laughs> yeah i um didn't find you guys till a lot later i think aaron when she was going through her faith crisis you know she'd have it on her phone kind of secretly yeah. listening and i'd be like who are those bros you know <laughs> joking about yeah. stuff you know yeah 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 the, but, the guys that sit on the back row and just make fun of everything <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me your story, Mark. What's, what, what's your uh, relationship to the Mormon church today? And uh, what do you want to say about how you got there? All right. Uh, let's see. Today, I have learned to uh, love Mormonism in a new way. Mm-hmm. I was born in Utah, actually, Heber City, Utah, uh, 1982. So I'm getting up there, I guess. But um, my Mormon cred is that my family, um, they're Willie Martin handcart pioneers, you know, yeah. and um, my ancestor was Edwin Whiting and he uh was we always say he was you know he's a bodyguard of Joseph Smith which we thought was very cool until I talked to uh Locke Mackay I don't know if you know him but Uh -uh. uh, he he is an apostle in the COC okay he um is a descendant of Joseph Smith and he's he he can say to me well he didn't do a very good job did he and so um (laughs) oh being a bodyguard bodyguard yeah so um but also I found out there's kind of a lot of bodyguards, like, you know, yeah. and, and this kind of gets to the thing, right. Where I think um, Joseph was very good at making everybody feel important and special. Um, And so our guy, you know, our ancestor, we thought was like the bodyguard, but really there was a lot. And, you know, he's probably a Danite and everything. That's what I was thought thought you were going to say that you found out he was a Danite. Yeah. I, my, I have a, ancestor Philemon C. Merrill that was also a bodyguard of Joseph Smith. I don't know any of the details about it. I don't yeah. know if he was a Danite. Um, yeah. I'm just surprised. Yeah. Swear an oath. Yeah. I, I am always surprised to see um, like how many bodyguards there were. So yeah. Um, but anyway, um, the other kind of random thing is that that guy, Edwin, um, sorry, I don't mean to go so far in my history, but um, he, uh, he's the only one that followed Brigham Young when the, the schism happened and mm. the rest of them joined the Cutlerites. And even today, like Whiting, I think is the head of the Cutlerites. So um, where are they based? I, I don't know much. Oh, about geez. The they're like, I think they're still there, like in, in Missouri or, Oh really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't, I think they're kind of a unique group um, mm. still because I think they have a endowment and, but I don't know if there's very many of them left. I think they're pretty small now. Anyway. Um, okay, sorry. I got sidetracked there. But basically, um, grew up in the church in Nevada. Um, you know, I, I think I enjoyed growing up in the church. It was pretty fun. Uh, was able to kind of embrace the weirdness of Mormonism and kind yeah. of enjoyed, you know, debating with my high school friends who there's not a lot of Mormons there uh, where I grew up in Elko, Nevada. Um, so, you know, most of my friends were non-Mormons and, uh, in that way, it kind of, I think makes you, same thing with the mission, right? It kind of makes you become more Mormon when you're kind of defending it. Right. Um, So let's see. Um, I, so, and, and I was always like a very black and white thinker, like whatever, um, was said, you know, I would go with, like, I, I was hardcore, believed it, you know? and um didn't really question much um my dad was a convert and i I, the only the only thing i can remember kind of questioning was uh one time he said when he was joining the church he thought it was a little odd that the word adieu was in the book of mormon oh yeah you know and i was 
so yeah, that just like things like that. I guess I also was um, a Book of Mormon geography. I was always trying to find out like where did the Book of Mormon take place, you know? Yeah. And then, but I always kind of resigned to well, God doesn't want us to know because it would. Mm. The whole point of the Book of Mormon is it's we have to rely on faith, you know. And um, so, so I was. Go ahead. Were, were you like me when you were bored in sacrament meeting? You'd turn to the back of the the scriptures and look at the maps and the like the facsimiles for the Book of Abraham and just kind of like pour over that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, lots of embarrassing things I did with that for sure. I think embarrassing. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> I um, God, I I think at one point because I thought it was like hidden knowledge, like super cool, yeah. you know. Yeah. Me so too. at one point, I think my poor parents. I don't even know if they know this, but I ended up like you know, taking a book of Mormon and like cutting out some of those uh, hieroglyphic pages, you know, the yeah. facsimiles. Yeah. And I like folded them up and put them in a little box and, that I had made in school, I think. And then I cut a hole in my wall and put it in there because I thought someday someone will open this wall and they'll find this thing and it will convert <laughs> them to Mormonism, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope my parents never listened to this episode because I like plastered back over the wall and it's not a very good job. So... I don't know. I just, I was, a, are they still in that house? Yeah, they're still there. <laughs> so it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. I was just there actually, cause I was out for sunstone and I saw the little, like, you know, messed up part of the wall and I'm like, Oh man, I should probably get that yeah, out of there. But anyway, so I was a nerd, um, you know, way into it. Just thought there was like lost knowledge. You know, the whole restoration yeah. thing was very cool to me. Um, and, uh, so I was kind of excited to go on my mission. Um, went on a mission to Tennessee, Okay. Is Tennessee Knoxville mission. Um, and let's see. Um, that is where I really started having, a, I guess it's people call it cog- cognitive dissonance, right? Yeah. Where I started to see, um, and I think this happens a lot when people like go to BYU for college and stuff and for the first time or something. And you see um, kind of that people are not living the standards um yeah definitely my mission was was like really not very great um you know like i ended up replacing a missionary at one point that was um you know sleeping with a member and drugging his companion to be able to do it um just like it was just a lot of uh that kind of thing and he drugged his companion so that he could sneak out yeah without being detected yeah. yeah absolutely he would sneak out at night and um yeah so he drug his companion a lot anyway it was there was a lot of those type of things going on and so it just sort of shocked me I guess because I was always you know pretty much a a goody two-shoes kind of guy you know like I I didn't straight shooter I guess I don't know oh and, and the other thing that started happening to me was um lots of spying and tattletelling and stuff like that going on on the mission which yeah I was kind of it was weird to see and then also see the other end of it where the mission president would say things like, I'm inspired to, I felt inspiration today to ask, you know, and I'd be like, no, we told you, or someone told you. Right? <laughs> so it, and it, and I was like, well, maybe that's just the way the mission runs. You know, I was able to kind of rationalize that when I got out of my mission. Yeah. Um, you know, a bunch of like, you know, like boys that are just all, you know, a bunch of teenage boys really you're trying to manage. So, yeah. Um, we, and then a lot of them with some political ambitions to become zone mm-hmm. leaders and assistants yeah. to the president and yeah, a lot of cutthroat stuff that I saw in my mission. And, and the ones that get, would get rewarded weren't always like the, 
they were oftentimes the very ambitious and uh, ruthless ones. Yeah, ruthless, like corrupt yeah. kind of, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so that really bothered me. But you kind of forget, you kind of, you know, you, you come back and they have you tell the best parts of your mission and it helps you kind of forget the bad stuff and move yeah. on. And, you know, next thing you know, I, I met Erin on my, my uh, mission as well. She was from my area. So um, that was the best thing come out of my mission is I met my wife there. Nice. Was one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we moved on. Erin uh, was at Agnes Scott College in Atlanta and um, I had nothing. You know, I went back to Elko, Nevada. There's nobody there. No one stays there. So, um, so I was like, well, where am I going to go to school? And I ended up, uh, looking at Atlanta cause Aaron was here and went to art school out here. I should mention, let's see, I guess, uh, the whole reason I went on my mission in the first place was, um, I had an older brother or I have an older brother, sorry. Anyway, but he had to kind of he, he left the church as a teenager and he had to like fight like tooth and nail. You know, he's the, the first one, oldest um, child. I have, you know, seven sisters and also. And so for him, it was a big deal. And I saw what it kind of did to my parents. So I knew mm -hmm. that I had to be like, I'm the only other brother. I'm the, pretty much probably the only other person who's going to go on a mission because we were very, you know, boys go on missions, girls get married. Yeah. Type of thing. And um so you felt a lot of pressure within your family yeah. to pick yeah, up the and, slack. Right. <laughs> and I, so I think that carried over kind of into our marriage a little bit where I felt like, you know, I had to make sure I kept, you know, doing the things, going to church and, um, you know, making sure we were doing what we were doing or what we we're supposed to do. And um, Aaron, we kept kind of egging each other on, even though uh, I, at some point we both were kind of leaving you know we, we weren't feeling it anymore and uh but we were afraid to talk to each other <laughs> oh that's funny yeah. yeah and um I guess one of the things that happened that was a big moment for me was that um there was a uh, uh there was kind of like a special um broadcast uh into the kind of like southern area and it was actually um monson speaking um and before sorry before monson there was all these other speakers and they had all kind of uh there it was a very sexist um thing and i knew aaron was you know raging feminist at that point and so for her it was like really bothering her and the whole conference was bad in that way but then monson got up and um th again this was really poorly attended N nobody i mean i don't think i don't know how, how many people were actually watching this thing but in our area, not very many. Um, Monson got, gets up and he starts to speak and it is nonsense. Like he's completely off his rocker. He's like um, telling half stories. And at one point he even says the phrase, and I, I remember this one, he says, I have spoken beautifully this evening, you know? And you're like, who? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> really, you haven't, you know? Like, um, it was very weird. And we both were kind of looking at each other like, this guy is not a prophet, like, you know? And, um, and at that point we kind of all, um, I think we just kind of faded away. Like it, uh, we weren't, it's easy to do here in Atlanta. Like yeah. there's uh, where I'm at now. Um, there's not very many Mormons and, at some point our ward split and everyone just kind of assumed we were in the other ward at that point. We just kind of let them assume <laughs> yeah. that. And yeah. we walked away. Um, 
what what time frame was this like oh, what year are you talking is, about i want to say this is about 10 years ago okay um but is that right when monson oh oh sorry i didn't finish the story the whole point is that the reason but you did speak beautifully <laughs> great <laughs> well uh the reason monson was we think uh that night uh gorda b hinkley died or he was like in the hospital and i think oh. monson was feeling the weight of that and like suddenly he realized he was gonna be in charge of all these people and you know, it was kind of a early, I guess, version of his dementia that came out that night. Because like he was fine mm. after that for the next couple of conferences and stuff. He didn't. He was fine. Right. But it was just that night. He just it was very much like how he was at the very end uh, oh. where mm. he was kind of <laughs> just this out of it. But so, so you and Aaron have been out for 10 years or so. Yeah, I want to say, well, to, as of to no, sorry, as of this year we're out 10 years so i'm not okay. sure when that falls in there actually so what have you done with your art so you you, yeah. you went to to school as an artist um because it's really good <laughs> thanks um no so what what ended up happening what what um i ended up going to art school like i said in uh here in atlanta but then i uh i got a job uh, after graduation as an aerospace artist I, I don't know how to say a space artist I guess mm. um so I created a lot of um technical renderings of spacecraft and um uh high like point-to-point -point vehicles like super fast like supersonic um type planes and things like that um and the reason this was kind of it kind of leads into the other stuff I did which is that I had to be creative within a structure a tight structure of whatever the engineers provided me, I couldn't just make details up, right? So yeah. um, that carries over into my book, um, which we can talk about, but basically that I tried to illustrate within a historical document and try yeah. not to create too many details up. Um, yeah, so I did that. I actually did that for 10 years um, as an aerospace uh, artist and then... Um, started doing that freelance and because uh, my it was pretty high demand and uh as Aaron's career took off we realized mine was kind of high stress and not as good of pay as what Aaron was doing so and I didn't really have a problem like being a stay-at-home dad like I thought it was a pretty cool chance to to kind of you know come home and uh, work out of the house and it was flexible and oh well I guess to tie this all together so what what ended up happening was um, you know, we finally kind of came out to each other and um, decided we would leave the church and we just kind of walked away, like I said. Then it wasn't till a while later that um, we kind of grew interested in it. And I think Aaron at that time is binging your podcast and others. And um, she's definitely doing a lot of the media consumption. I'm doing some reading. Um, I, you know, I read Rough Stone Rolling. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of that kind of stuff and ended up um, down the rabbit hole that way. Eventually, we come out to each other. We trade notes and um, realize that there's a lot of history we didn't realize that was super fascinating. Um, but also, I, we kind of went through backward. Like, we walked away and then we went to our angry phase. Uh-huh. <laughs> And now we're coming back out of that, you know, like uh, years later, we're like, oh, okay, you know, let's learn to enjoy, you know, constructively deal with Mormonism, I guess. And that's how I decided to do it was um, I started to fall, started to fall in love with the um, 
the folklore tales and the treasure digging adventures. Um, and so I decided to kind of go headlong into that. And I, I, I loved all the books, but I know that's not for everybody. And so I was like, how can I contribute to the conversation? And I'm in a point in my life, I have the time because I'm freelance, uh, I can tell a story, you know, I can try to revive some of these really obscure tales. Yeah. Um, so um, originally, I think what happened was I was reading Dan Vogel and um, I, I really do blame Dan Vogel for the path I'm on, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I started reading his making, it was called Making of a Prophet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had a sketchbook as I was reading it. I would kind of be sketching this stuff out. And my wife was like, I think it was her idea at one point. But um, we, you know, we started talking about it. We're like, these are kind of cool to see. Like, you know, people, you, it's one thing to read it, but to see something. Yeah. It's just, it's very striking. So um, I started like, thinking of, well, could I, I don't know if you remember those like Book of Mormon um, illustrated books that had like I could a go panel. pull it off the, sh I could go pull it off the shelf and show you one of them right now. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I, I loved those. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I was growing up, growing up with those. And so I was like, maybe I could do like a parody of those, you know, and yeah. be super funny, you know, and I was, it was not very serious. I was like, maybe I could do like the treasure tale, you know, treasure digging and show some mm -hmm. of those. I didn't realize how many treasure digs there were though. So at first it was a very manageable project but then um after a while it just evolved into being like no let's try to flush these out a little bit and try to do like vignettes like like um each each um source or like a group of sources we can kind of tell a little story and um try to stitch them together an overall arc um and that's what ended up happening that's how i have volume one how many volumes are there going to be mark <laughs> I don't want to pin that down, but um, I will say that it's at least three. All okay. right. So um, we didn't get very far in the first volume. Joseph has, um, you know, retrieved his first seer stone. Yeah. And the the real crazy stuff begins after that. So so that you think that there's there might be at least three. Mm. This first one you dedicated to Martin Harris, then I'm guessing the next one's going to be Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I kind of feel like um, I, I, I really, what I, what I dream of is that this whole thing will be combined into one big old yeah. massive book. Mm -hmm. And I dedicate to Martin Harris because uh, honestly, I, well, without, without Martin Harris, we wouldn't have ended up with Mormonism in many ways, but also he just, um, he was kind of like, for when I said, when I decided that he was, he was a, a mark, you know, for Joseph, um, he was a wealthy guy and he got used up and mm. I feel bad for him. And, but he's also, I can respect his kind of like childlike faith. Like he just really wanted to believe, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I, I like that. Um, I, at the time, I kind of thought he was the first person that Joseph uh, kind of manipulated, but there was many before before Martin. All right. So tell tell me a little bit about your view of Joseph Smith then, because you spent a lot of time with these really obscure tales, and I I've read a few of them. So I like uh, several years ago, I did another podcast called Early Mormon Audio, 
mm-hmm. where I, I took like John C. Bennett's book. I think it's Mormonism Unveiled. I don't remember the exact title of it. Mm-hmm. And I just read it word for word. And I published probably eight different segments of it. And there's so many of those affidavit stories in there. Like I recognized the Sally and Willard Chase and mm-hmm. that purple guy. What you know, like I'll, yeah. yeah, a lot of the sources that you had in there were were there as well. So I've come across some of them, not all of them that you had. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that about what you're doing with this project. Not only is it absolutely gorgeous to look at, but it it's a it gathers these these uh, stories in a place that are so much more easily accessible, I think, than anything that I've ever seen before. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I love just like grabbing like back there, uh, behind me is all of, you know, uh, Dan Vogel's five volumes of early Mormon documents and Lucy's history and stuff. I love that kind of stuff, but again, I just realize it's not for everyone. And right now, um, you know, yeah, like trying to make your way through D. Michael Quinn's, oh, yeah. uh, was it folk, folk magical, magic in the early Mormon worldview, something like that? World, yeah, magical worldview. Yeah. Um, yeah, I ended up splitting his book in half because yeah. like that's the only way to, to read and do the footnotes because it literally mm-hmm. is half of his book is footnotes. But um, yeah, some that's exactly, that's super dense. I can barely handle that. Um, yeah. And I read a lot. So yeah. Um, I, it's just so accessible and a lot of people love, um, graphic novels, especially regarding history right now. So, um, I thought it was just a good way for me to, again, constructively deal with my issues with Mormonism. So, uh, but your question was like, how do I feel about Joseph? And yeah, um, yeah. What's your, what's your personal opinion of who, who was this guy? And I'll, let's, so, so let me tell you, Mark, um, I recently had, uh, a psychic, tell me that kind of I was Joseph Smith in another life. Oh, so okay. just keep that in mind. I'll try not to offend. Um, don't, 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 don't offend me too much here. But, you know, like you can't hear something like that and then not have it be like this little kernel in the back of my mind. Now, every time I hear somebody say something about Joseph, Smith, I'm like, wait a minute, are they talking about me? Yeah. No, uh, I don't. I don't really think that uh, I'm Joseph Smith, okay. by the way, Mark, but it's That's fun. Okay. Um, well, I, I just want to put an asterisk by this because I feel like my, um, response will probably change quickly, you know, Hmm. like it it changes all the time, probably. And I honestly, like a lot of times we have this discussion, like who was in on it, you know, and like who with like the book of Mormon, like who knew what was going on or, uh, and honestly, those conversations turn out different every time. So, um, I, I do have a lot of theories, but so what I would say though about Joseph is that, oof, man. Um, well, I, I like Dan Vogel again with his pious fraud. I mm-hmm. kind of subscribe to that. Um, but I also kind of think there might be something going on with a uh, mental health issue, mm. um, um, possibly some kind of bipolar um, thing. So in that way, um, I don't know. It's almost like that lets me, if I subscribe to that theory with like a mental health issue, it kind of gives him a little bit of like, it's hard to judge him as severely. Um, mm. And so I think there might be something there. Um, however, he definitely, so I, I'm focusing again, like um, 
on early stuff. I, I don't right. go into Very the polygamy. Early. Like yeah. I'm going to end this where the church is founded, the Book of Mormon is published. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't done a lot of the things that we kind of hate, you know, yeah. that he did at that point. Um, now he has the, no matter what side of the, where you land on, you know, whether it's real or not, he has definitely been deceptive and used people a lot at this point. Um, so I, I think he learns that over time and he learns that he can, he's someone that can control people and, um, he's someone that can, um, get, yeah, get people to do what what he wants them to do and make people believe what he says. Um, so, um, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say, cause I, cause I did read the entire thing, including your end notes. Um, Mm -hmm. and you're very, uh, respectful, you know, it's, the, the, your approach with this is not, and I think you've got some some statements in your end notes about this. You're not writing this for skeptics. You're not writing it for believers. You're really just trying to be, like you said earlier, very faithful to what the historical sources say without elaborating on it, without comment commenting on it. You're not expanding anything out with it. Um, and and Joseph at this point in time is a a teenage boy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's probably 17, 18 years old in the way that you're depicting him here. Yeah, it's, well, it's 1821. I'll have yeah. a timeline in my um, final uh, print just yeah. now. And kind of, because that was one of the things that I've I've got feedback on is like, no one knows these stories and they don't understand where it fits in the structure that we already know. Yeah. And, and because the dates that you do include are the dates of the affidavits that, Mm -hmm. that you're basing the, these, these uh, vignettes off of. And and those are like 1876 or 1890, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot later than when it actually would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So he's just a teenager. um, And yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's not, He's already just, you know, what teenager is sort of, uh, he's a hero, right? He's the hero yeah. of my story, but he's not exactly like a perfect hero. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's flawed lots of ways. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you another reason why I, I, I had so much interest when I saw this. And I, I didn't, I mean, I know you've been working on this since 2017. Is that right? Um, yeah. Um, geez, I, I think it's been... Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, and it and it just popped up on my radar just yesterday or the day before. Yeah. I mean, it I've was been just flying like, low. Really, <laughs> yeah, um, but a, a couple of years ago, I I was toying with the idea uh, of of creating like a TV show version of this, and I wanted to focus on exactly the same time period that you're depicting in here. Mm-hmm. And I I loved the idea of Joseph having some kind of a romance with Sally Chase. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I loved the way you depicted her in there. You and my um, wife, yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I, I kind of have the sense that she was his first, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that that and and a lot of the anger that she has towards him later. Hmm. Um, I don't know, is like a jilted lover type. She never marries, you know. She ends up. Yeah. She never marries, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and then this Lumen Walters character, man, like I, when I first found out about him, 
you remember the the third Indiana Jones movie where you've got River Phoenix as the young Indiana Jones and he mm -hmm. sees like this archaeologist that looks like an Indiana Jones archetype mm -hmm. that becomes his hero and he puts his hat like I've always felt like young Joseph and Lumen Walters had that kind of a mm -hmm. relationship and and you really do kind of tease that out a little bit even though you're not elaborating on their relationship mm -hmm. you're just going from the the brief mentions that there are of Lumen Walters here yeah. and there but that guy's such a fascinating character to me yeah absolutely I plan on making a video about him to kind of go with my other video but uh, because I again yeah he's he's super fascinating to me um he he will make an, a few more appearances as will Sally. I mean, they, they come in yeah. and out of Joseph's story for like, we don't realize, I, I think people don't realize that like the people that Joseph was hiding the plates from were all yeah. these people that he hung out with for years. Right. They, they were, they were part of his gang of treasure diggers or whatever you yeah. want to call it that they were doing. And Sally, she, I, I like to say, you know, she inadvertently started Mormonism because right. this the story is that, you know, he went to go get his seer stone by using her stone. And uh, from there, we can assume there's a lot of quotes um, that say that he dug the well on the Chase's um, property. Um, but it was like a pretend it wasn't it wasn't really to dig a well. It was for something else. And so when he found the. Um, the stone it, you could assume that he probably used the white stone to find the brown stone which then gets us the book of mormon um and then i was gonna say sally what i like about her is that um she almost finds the plates like in lucy's account um she talks about uh how she you know they they go look for the plates that are hiding in the cooper shop across the street and um they t pull up the floorboards and pull out the box and they even like smash the box in the street, but the plates aren't actually in it. And then Joseph says, well, you know, don't worry. An angel appeared to me and I moved it into the, the loft. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can see like, I mean, somehow she was able to find that, right? If she, was she, was, did her stone work or was she possibly able to get some information to find that they were there, you know? Yeah. depending on how you look at it. So I, I always you know, thought that's a cool part of the story. That, that, that's one of the things that I love how you did in this graphic novel, Mark. Um, when, when he looks into the hat, you know, it was, so, so Sally shows him, here, you put this stone and you put your face in the hat. And I know you took some creative license in that because you, you, you talk about that in your end notes. Mm -hmm. but, but then you talk about creative license. How are you going to visually depict what Joseph might have seen when he put his head in that in that hat? I loved how you did that. That was so cool. What did you What did you base that on? Um. Well, geez, I, I think you know. So I majored in animation, and so to mm. me, I could always just kind of picture like a wispy kind of um, changing kind of thing that he might see um, within her stone, and. To be honest, like whenever he gets his stone, I wanted to have a contrast there. That's more like his stone is more epic, more grand, right? He can see things um, better in it. More clearly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't have a lot. We have like, I think. Because it's like Harry Potter's wand almost, yeah. right? You know, like yeah, yeah, the yeah. stone that, that chooses him. Yeah. That he can exactly. see more in that, that white stone when he gets it than he did in Sally's. Yeah. And, um. 
Oh, oh, I was going to say like with uh, David Whitmer, um, I think David Whitmer talks, he's the only other place we get a, a, a idea of what he might've seen. And he talks about, I think, I think it's him, talks about like the Roman numeral or, or I'm sorry, the, um, the hieroglyph and below it, he would have in, in Roman font, like mm. the words of the Book of Mormon, right. That, that correspond with the glyph. Mm. And so I'm like, and then it would like fade away and then reappear or something. And I think yeah. that's maybe where I started to get the idea. I was like, well, if it's something that can come like come and go, perhaps it's wispy. I don't know. Yeah. Wispy. But, yeah. Um, I also thought it might kind of, you know, a lot of these stones, like, like his brownstone has like um, lines in it, uh, uh, layers. And so I thought maybe it's kind of has that sort of effect as well, but yeah. I don't know. This is creative now, way. Now when, when, I look at what he was doing, um, especially with that group of money diggers. I, and, and when I was trying to create, you know, because I, I didn't care about sticking as, as uh, closely to the historic sources as you did. I wanted to create a story around this thing. So I was doing a lot of my own creative license. But I, I have this really strong impression that Joseph learned how to intoxicate an audience mm -hmm. using like psilocybin mushrooms or, you know, mm -hmm. some, some <laughs> other things like this, that, mm -hmm. that probably Lumen Walters um, was, you know, taught him and that this, this group of treasure seekers, not only were they taking people out to dig treasure, which was fun, but they kind of given them a little bit of a trip while they were out mm. yeah. doing it. Have you come across anything like that? Or do you have any thoughts on, entheogen use and joseph smith will, will that be a part of any of the future um, books so i do think that probably happened um i don't have anything solid you know there, like there's not a solid record that says anything about it yeah. so but i do think that there's something going on there and how i want to treat it is because i, I think that that can be very um uh, it, it can offend people easily. I polarizing. Believe. Yeah, it's very polarizing. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I want to kind of nod at it when I can. Um, yeah. And like, like something that's in the background that mm -hmm. maybe, yeah. I actually did illustrate some mushrooms in that last scene, but they're uh -huh. kind of hidden yeah. uh, just for that reason. But I think that, um, yeah, I do think so. So there is, there's some other, like, uh, oh, who's the guy that, a uh, string, like there's, he did some weird. James Strang. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, he did some weird kind of thing called the Enlightenment, I think, where he mm. poured some kind of oil and it had phosphorus kind of things in it. And it, possibly some, I mean, you know, in Kirtland too, it, it, it gets pretty wild. And it with seems, the dedication of the temple yeah, yeah. it seems yeah. to be that there's a lot of uh or a potential drug use there so yeah but i don't i don't know again i i want to treat this as something that i hope that you could just pick up as a believer and feel very uncomfortable reading <laughs> but you could maybe get through it um yeah. and similarly with um an ex-mormon or whatever that or, or, or a non-mormon you might be able to get through it and yeah so I, that's polarizing, but Hey, I mean, I personally, yes, I think that probably that was yeah. going on. Well, you, you had, you had those, uh, that, that, that story of 
Lucy Mack and Sally Sarah yeah, or Sarah Rockwell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Porter Rockwell's mom mm-hmm. smoking pipes with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was something that I had never even considered before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing that was really, yeah. really cool. Really eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. Just exactly. Like I like to, that, that is me kind of pushing it. Right. But I, I wanted to be like, okay, look, but, but, but you're doing it based on historical sources. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, there's a very clear account of uh, someone who visited and uh, saw very early pages from the Book of Mormon. And while he was there, they, he, he described how she lit their pipe with the end of a broom spent yeah. kind of thing. And uh, yeah, puffed away at it. So and then I also know through archaeology, they found a lot of uh, pipe, uh, you know, like uh, broken pipes and mm-hmm. uh, ashes and things around that, the cabin. So, yeah. um, and, yeah. and she was known as like a herbal yeah. lorist or something, you know, yeah. like she, she knew medicines. Yeah. So. It, yeah, that's true. And, um, yeah. And I, I want to bring in the female characters as much as possible. And I think yeah. that, you know, Lucy, luckily, you know, we, we have a lot of, well, she mostly is reporting, you know, Joseph's story, but she is talking a lot in there and, and, in her, um, her account and so I think that it's worth kind of showing her as much as possible so whenever yeah. whenever a story says you know he uh like for instance he wanted um his parents to take him to the chases a lot of times I might just use Lucy or whenever I can I would do that probably yeah but. and uh, you were really uncomfortable with the racial undertones the racist undertones of the mound builder narrative like he that made a point of going <laughs> the author does not agree with this at all the author thinks this is gross <laughs> yeah yeah um my my lawyer wife also she wanted to make sure that i made a good statement there um mm-hmm. but yeah it's true i mean i think it's funny that not funny it's sad that that's yeah. a thing that exists in the book of mormon still and yeah. that it came from that time period um and it you know everybody you know we always say people are product of their time or whatever but i mean it still is a very wrong viewpoint yeah and but yeah a lot of people believed um other contemporaries of joseph um believed that there was some white race before um and not just and it wasn't just like the poor and uneducated it was oh right everybody right so. yeah i did i did my uh i i did my master's degree in folklore and mythology mm-hmm. and my master's thesis was on the lost tribes of Israel, the, the, oh. the, the lore, the stories oh, in Mormonism okay. specifically that I came across on my mission in Japan. Oh, wow. And one of the things that I researched for that w- was what the attitudes were of early Americans um, mm-hmm. at, at the time of the formation of the, the country. And there, there were a lot that believed that, the, the lost tribes of Israel were found as remnants of mm-hmm. the native Americans that they came across there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the, the mound builders had been these ancient white people that were the lost tribes of Israel. Yeah. So it wasn't Joseph Smith didn't just make that up. That was something that was floating around in the environment that he was in and had been for a long time. Yeah. And unfortunately it's a little bit of a, the sign that it's a work of 19th century yeah (laughs) coming out of there but yeah um 
anyway but i didn't know that until much later you know it's not anything you you learn right. in school or i mean in church <laughs> but um yeah so how long how long did it take you so th- this this book is about 170 to 174 pages mm-hmm. um i think it's eight eight chapters seven or eight chapters beautifully illustrated pages how long does it take you to create something like this um geez well unfortunately the pandemic really kind of skewed like my time frame on that like Mm. I will say like some days I will do a a whole page in a day um Mm. as far as like um I do them as a pencil um on paper um big 11 by 17s and then um it takes another day for the inking and coloring so it's like a two two day but honestly it takes a lot longer than that usually because of um well just i have a kid you know and i have to work when i can and so it ends up being like a lot longer (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i don't really have a good grasp on how long it took me (laughs) sorry yeah but do do you do you have a a a time frame for when the next one of these is going to come out okay yeah so so i will say oh so this one was probably the hardest one to write. Um, one, it's beginning, right? I've never done anything like this before. But also, it's a really like um, nebulous time. Like whatever. Like there's not a lot of stories. They're not very well fleshed out, and um, and so I ended up going in these like you know I'd be working for a little bit, and then I'd run into something and be like, oh man, I got to research this, and I go back and research yeah. spiral for a while. So. Um, 1822 so 18 so basically like we've we've i've illustrated a bulk of what happens in 1821 and a little bit of 1820 um now i'm getting into 1822 and that one um is basically where i started my book originally Mm. um and so it's way more fleshed out and it's much more um i have a lot of a lot of vignettes right that are um or just better put together. Um, so I feel like I can probably produce this next section quicker. Also with my son in school, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. um, depending on how the, you know, this next wave of the virus goes. Um, so I wanted, I, I have this dream that, you know, it's 2021, I finished 1821. Uh-huh. But if I could keep this up, so it's like 200 oh, each years. year. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Is it 200 years? Yeah. So like, um, I thought that would be cool. So maybe it is cool. I'd be yeah. 1822. We'll be ready in that 2022. Well, that'd be cool. Yeah. But what kind of a response have you had so far? Um, pretty good. Like, um, I was pretty surprised. Um, now Sunstone where I kind of launched this, um, I, um, this last Sunstone wasn't as big because it was half virtual, half, um, mm. in person, but honestly, like I've had a booth at Sunstone for a couple of years and mm. I love just coming, you know, people coming over and I just nerd out with them about the treasure digging and stuff. And, um, I think it's becoming more mainstream and I get a lot of, um, people that are, um, you know, in the believing camp that are kind of mm-hmm. wanting to know these stories and, yeah. To be honest, I think they're way cooler than what we've been taught. So the, I, the stories or the people? 
the stories. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the people are cool. Too. The, 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 the stories are the believers. <laughs> the believers are way cooler than what we've been told. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of fun just talking with people and um, I have had, you know, some believers that are interested in it. Um, definitely a lot of ex-Mormons and um but uh you know it's been way more honestly like i'm making it for me like i i yeah. kind of wish this already existed because like i i kind of want it to just be like you said almost like an hbo show or a mini series or something that already existed yeah. it doesn't exist so i was like well you know i'm like i said i can do it maybe i'll i'll make this like um this thing that is a little more accessible to people and i hope that someday you know <laughs> it becomes something better um but this is a, a step anyway um so yeah but, but generally like people like it like um i'm surprised by that so yeah <laughs> yeah you're surprised so when when i showed it to my partner because i was just geeking out over it and she, <laughs> she left the church about 10 years ago she's like why would anybody spend their time on this stuff like i'm so not interested in joseph smith at all anymore and i'm like well okay maybe you're not but uh-huh. i'll ask him <laughs> so tell yeah. me mark why would you spend all your time on this Oh, geez, this, it confuses my dad too, or, or, you know, any of my family members that are in the church, right? That, yeah. like, why, why, you know? Um, and I would say that um, um, it's just been kind of a journey for me to kind of, I just want to um, learn as much as I can. And uh I, I guess, again, it's just sort of a way for me to deal with it. Like all, all the things, um, I, I definitely felt very betrayed when I left the church. Um, and uh, when I found out things that, that I had not been taught. And so I think it's just a way I can kind of um, enjoy Mormonism again. Um, yeah. And because I'm not, you know, you never really leave the church alone, right? So, so um I just embraced it, I guess. And um, this was a facet of it that I enjoyed still. Um, so, so you have used it as a way to fall back in love with Mormonism as a thing, but in, because mm-hmm. that was the word that you used when we first started talking, you, you, you kind of love the love Mormonism in a way. Yeah. The, I guess I would say I, I kind of, in, in a way that I, that I look at any sort of, almost like fantasy story. Like I love kind of how it evolved, although, or I mean like the, um, I really, it's just that I love the folklore. I love the, mm-hmm. the stories. Cause like, honestly, a lot of these stories I'm drawing are not necessarily true, right? They're just stories that people said. They're stories yeah. that people say are about Joseph um, they, or they think they're about our Joseph, right? It's possible they're, I mean, Joseph Smith is a pretty common name. There's a lot yeah. of Joseph Smiths um, and I'm aware of that. And I know that probably some of these treasure digs that I'm illustrating down the road are going to be, um, you know, just ascribed to him because he's the most famous treasure seer in the area. Um, But I also know that (laughs) there's a whole heck of a lot more that are not fleshed out that we know about. Um, And so I kind of like, well, it kind of averages out. Um, I see the little toad over your shoulder there yeah T- tell, I, tell me about this this guy that you got sitting on your table there okay well um he's he just traveled back from sunstone he was a display piece at my booth but 
you know, that's kind of a reference to the uh, earlier accounts, uh, Willard Chase and Orlando Saunders, I think, um, talking about a toad-like creature that rises up into the form of a man. Um, and uh, I use him sometimes with my plates. I don't know if you can see him. I have replicas of gold plates back there. Oh, yeah, up there on that shelf back there. Yeah. Oh, well, that's nice. Your shelf hasn't broken totally. <laughs> it's, not, it's pretty heavy. Gold plate it's no. pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have a crazy person wall over here that tracks out, like, where the digs oh, are. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you can see that, but yeah, no, with with the the yarn and the thumbtacks that are pointing to the yeah, it does look like you're tracing a crime scene. Yeah, and um, I'm a very visual guy, so I have yeah. to do things like that to keep track yeah. of things. But um, anyway, yeah. Did you have you come across that? So there was when I was doing that early Mormon audio project, there was a story that I had never heard before that came from Isaac Hale, uh, mm -hmm. Emma Smith's father, mm -hmm. that when, and so this, this would have been after the time period that you're focusing on, mm -hmm. um, but before the Book of Mormon was published, mm -hmm. and that Joseph was telling people, or, or that he had told um, Isaac that their unborn child, so, so yeah. Emma was pregnant at the time, would be the one who would translate the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And so one of the original ideas of Joseph Smith was that the Book of Mormon would be translated by this infant, this child, and that would make it even more miraculous that it had happened. I'd never heard that before. Did you come across that in your research? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's more than just, I think there's several people that say that. Oh, besides um, Isaac Hale? Yeah, um, I believe one of the nephews um says it there but anyway um yeah definitely that story is there yeah. and like you know he's, he's born uh unfortunately prematurely and yeah. um they said Didn't survive the birth yeah yeah and they even said he was um deformed um and yeah didn't survive so that's too bad yeah but, um i don't i think joseph um, there's a lot of like conflicting stories through while well, I'm dig you know, digging through this stuff. And yeah. to be honest, like even the stone, right. I think it's probably going to bother people that the, some, some people, um, say that the first stone he found was the brown stone and mm. not the white one. So, um, but my opinion is that, um, the story, Joseph is very good at, um, well, we know this, in fact, from his own history, that he can rewrite his own history. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's fine with that. And I do think that he perhaps told different stories to different people and yeah. they went with it. Yeah. Um, and, some... and as they're reporting things, you got to question their memory and mm -hmm. what details are they remembering right and what are they not? And mm -hmm. it, it, it's all lost within the yeah mists of time <laughs> but yeah I, I think like he understood human behavior really well where um he would drop hints and drop details knowing that later you know person a and person b are going to meet up in a tavern and trade notes the story he doesn't the story grows by other people you know mm. um he just has to kind of drop you know start it um yeah. and you know People are farmers and they're bored, I think, too. It's just yeah. like um, when you're not farming, what are you doing? And I think a lot of it is you're building this these stories. So, yeah.
you, you had you had one illustration I remember where it was like Joseph was in a ta young teenage Joseph is in a ta tavern and there's like three or four young attractive ladies that are like kind of fawning around him and it's very like to, to me it's kind of like foreshadowing there's a lot of subtext there like nothing really uh, explicit comes out of it but mm -hmm. uh, was that intentionally your your foreshadowing his yeah, a little, uh, um, interest in women and their interest in him yeah and honestly like um you know so much of that just comes straight out of that account um mm -hmm. which is very problematic but it's um it's the uh i think it's the was it thomas bureau account um or no wait which one is that? The Green? Oh yeah, sorry. It's it's the um, Samuel Green account. So he um, he talks about how he was annoyed with how these girls he would he would tell these girls their fortunes, you know. Mm. And um, I do, yeah. I mean, I sometimes I do stuff um, unintentionally. Not not unintentionally. <laughs> you know, Subtle. I know where the story's Subtly. gonna go. So yeah, I know where it's gonna go eventually, yeah. right? So it's hard to not be like, Joseph was a womanizer, you know, like at some point, and he's a teenager right now. So yeah, how does that play out, you know? Right. But cool. All right. So so you you're doing pre-orders right now through mm -hmm. September first, is that right? Yes, that's right. And so if people are interested in this, they want to find out more, they want to get a, a copy, where do they go, Mark? They go to theglasslicker.com and uh, you'll find it there. Um, it's, it's the beginning of an epic adventure and I hope everybody likes it as much as I like making it. Um, it's been super fun and um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Just, just if you if you like, I think where it's gonna it's gonna fill a little bit when we're further in, like um, sort of a um, sort of an early American folktale, like Headless Horseman or uh, oh yeah, Legend of Sleepy Hollow Legend type stuff. Hollow, yeah, oh yeah, um, Rip Van Winkle, some yeah. of that stuff. Um, it just there's so much great. Um, so I guess that's one thing I should uh, say is that I am drawing what the account says happened. Again, not what I think happened. I'm much more of a skeptic, but um, I'm drawing. So, so if there is a giant that appears on a barn, I it will be a giant on the barn um, and not like Joseph Sr. dressed up on the barn, for instance. Or um, if there's a ghost, there's a ghost, um, that kind of thing. So um, I love it because I just found as I stitched all these stories together, it um, really made a compelling narrative. And uh, I try to follow the hero's journey. Um, uh, there's been some people that have compared Joseph with the Joseph Campbell um, hero's journey. And I find that it fits really well with that. So that's kind of how I stitched it all out together. Very cool. Well, Mark, thank you for taking the time to talk with me about this. And I, I hope that I'll have a bunch of listeners who are interested in this and you'll get some good book sales from this because you oh, deserve it. Thanks. Like the, the, the work, the love that you put into this, it's very obvious to me that this is a passion project. And if nothing ever comes of it, other than the fact that it's there, you'll be thrilled. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so, so thanks again for sharing that with me. And I, I look forward to seeing how this progresses over the years as well. Thanks. And thanks for reaching out. Yeah. Right. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic. So